0: about what you're eating right now
1: that's going to be on a banned list later
0: (laughs) (laughs) i don't uh welcome and we're back uh welcome to freightonomics this thursday at noon if you are watching live on linkedin anthony i'm sure we'll be happy to chat with you i'm zach strickland head of freight market intelligence here at freightways and this is anthony smith our chief economist and i am fresh back from a vacation
1: anthony that's right i mean whenever you're back from vacation just speaking from personal experience it's never like you're rearing and ready to go just so like i need time to reset from what just happened
0: i I, I feel like this was actually quite due uh you know even craig when we did the state of freight last week uh was like this market's wearing me out a little bit i'm gonna go (laughs) uh and and i i do feel similarly because there's just so much going on uh i think the post-covid reality that we're in it just it's never ending like yeah. the push for diversification. What does that mean? The push, for, you know, we've got debt ceilings now to worry about all the time. There's always something coming at us yeah. that has a pretty strong influence over our daily lives, you know, in our businesses and and everything that we're doing. I mean, and something we're going to dive into today is that debt ceiling, what does it mean? Uh, is there anything to take away? Let's try to peel back some layers.
1: Yeah. And I mean, exactly right. Especially as Craig said, there's just so much going on in the market. And it's almost like if you unplug from freight or really the macro economy overall for like a day or two, you feel like you've missed everything. And like you have to spend so much time just getting up to speed again.
0: Except I no, no, the world didn't miss me. <laughs> you know, just the world didn't back. miss me. So I, I feel like it's, it's all right. Uh, but yes, you do feel like you miss a lot. But uh, you know, there's too many people on this planet to keep it turning uh, at this point if one person can't take a vacation. Also, the vacation just helps sometimes provide clarity. That's right. That's uh, right. So you look at things a little bit cleaner than you did. You have to pull yourself out uh, every now and again to look fresh. set of eyes. And of course, I'm sure at LinkedIn
1: is happy to see you once again because it feels like it's been a while since we've been on. And as Zach mentioned earlier, I'm going to be watching Glued to my screen from time to time for any LinkedIn comments that come through. If you're watching, we appreciate it. So if you wanna join in on the show, have any questions, have any concerns, have any hot takes, or wanna get Zach canceled fresh off vacation,
0: feel free to comment down below. I'll go back. (laughs) All right, you wanna count me in and give a, speaking of fresh eyes, I got to look at some data with fresh vacation eyes. You wanna count me in and give the uh, market update? Three, two, one, go. All right. I I got to look at the Memorial Day dip uh, coming out of Memorial Day here on our OTBI, Outbound Tender Volume Index, our measure of trucking demand. And don't take anything seriously from this dip. The dip is normal. It's a seven day moving average of tenders. So it is, you know, an index of tenders, I should say. And so this dip happens every holiday. You can see it there. The big way to look at this is comparing it year over year. Obviously, we are still significantly down year over year over year. But we are sort of in alignment and are actually still above 2019. Uh, So demand itself has grown somewhat over the last couple of years, but not strong enough to make any strong impact to capacity. Uh, Let's look at the next chart here, our outbound tender rejection index. And you can see it's still on the floor. We just barely got above 3% for the holiday. And as I was mentioning earlier on uh, the show on Freightways Now, this is a big sign that we are nowhere near uh, the point where we're going to see capacity tighten in the market. The fact that it didn't even get close to 4% tells me that we are still very much oversupplied and rates are probably going to stay right where they are on the spot market if not continue to fall potentially. Just depends on where carriers are feeling uh, their bottom end is. Uh, If we go to the next chart here, uh, speaking of rates, the NTI, the National Trucking Index, Uh, measures spot rate activity for dry van loads moving more than 250 miles. We did see a little bit of a jump in the rates, but it just got right above where they were in April. Nothing significant here. Uh, Nothing to see here. Really going to be paying attention to this and the O-Tri over uh, a month from now when we're talking about July 4th activity. Let's look at the last chart that I have here. This is a chart looking at demand from rail, trucking, and Maritime. That blue line is maritime. It's showing some recovery, but we're still significantly down year over year in every single mode. Still, Zach, still so many trucks on the road. Too many trucks on the road. We are seeing some stabilization in demand. I think that's my big takeaway here is, you know, we look at the OTBI. Yes, it's down year over year. We look at the IOTI. It's down year over year. But it looks like we might have cratered in terms of demand. Now, doesn't mean that rates are getting, they're not, they're not increasing, Yeah, but demand on all three modes, rail, trucking, and maritime, they seem to have bottomed out this winter. Doesn't mean they can't go lower later in the year, but for now the cycle is moving higher through the summer. And I think that's a, you know, I'm, I'm kind of optimistic here in terms of <laughs> economic situations. I take this as kind of an economic chart. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, consumer demand, goods demand isn't getting worse. Doesn't mean that your rates are going to get higher. You're not going to be able to charge more for it. It's still well below supply in terms of trucking market dynamics. But if you are just out there in the world and you're thinking, oh, economic recession, deterioration, this is not the worst sign in the near term.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And and especially, I mean, we're looking at consumer demand, even if they are running on fumes, which might be a little bit of a hint to our top, one of our top stories here, um, that they are still doing it nonetheless, especially when we saw the latest job reports numbers showing that a lot of consumers are still going to be leaning heavily on that. um, And and despite, you know, credit utilization going up and up and up and, and really conditions worsening financially overall for them. They're continue to making those purchases of goods and services to just kind of keep things afloat here.
0: Yeah, I, I I I know we normally go through the news right now, but I want to stick to this concept right here because I think this is probably one of the most relevant and consistent topics that we need to discuss on this show. Is the relationship between the consumer and their purchasing activity and their ability to purchase <laughs> and willingness to purchase things versus the backdrop of what are the economic figures telling us? Yeah, And that employment number, the feds relied on it saying like jobs markets great. And they just had a pretty good release, right? Yeah. So like, can we break down the recent jobs market? For sure. So situation. Uh, we saw
1: in the latest job number that there were now, I think it was just over 10 million job openings. So it did pop up quite a bit here. And this is, like you said, it's going to be one of the things that the fed's going to lean on. Unfortunately, it is going to be a lagging indicator of sorts. I know a lot of some economists say hey this is going to be a leading indicator of what's to come da, 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 da. but we have to look at some of the underlying factors and what jobs are being offered versus what jobs have been lost so far when then the overall economic cycle and so that's going to be a big thing that's going to be shifting of course we're still seeing a lot of demand for services a lot of demand for hospitality people going on those vacations but also really some of those folks that are going on vacations that really can't afford to be going on vacations overall because We're seeing that there's still that spinning. There's that leaning on, hey, if I lose this role, I can get into another role. But we're not seeing that there's that same underlying shift for some of those consumers that have been what really ushered in the great resignation where people were just leaving their jobs left and right. We're starting to see quits come down. So that was a big one that was really kind of updated in the latest report that did show that there was an increase in openings. The quit rate went down. So that tells us that consumers aren't feeling as confident in the job market, even though there are more job openings that were released in this latest month. Other big thing is, is that this is just, you know, a, it's, it's an increase. And I don't want to say it's a trend that's going to completely throw off the overall downward movement that we've seen thus far since the beginning of the year. But it is a notable increase. And it's great because I definitely want to see that there are, you know, roles for people that may have gotten laid off. But is it going to be the right Bulls? Is it going to be the same match? Is there going to be any kind of labor friction overall? So that's going to be a big one. Is
0: this a seasonally adjusted figure?
1: This is, I believe, the seasonally adjusted okay. um, for the jobs report.
0: So, I mean, that I guess that, you know, normally I hate seasonally adjusted stuff. <laughs> uh, but I guess that's somewhat good in the way that I would have expected the service industry to have some growth during the summer months, right? Mm. And, and I would assume that's kind of what's driving this figure higher right now. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's going to be, I think, for if anyone's looking for any type of
1: catalyst for overall macroeconomic health, this is going to be the thing that they're going to lean on. And then, of course, we're looking at Jerome Powell and their decisions, because not only do we have the job numbers that came out, we also got the PCE index, which is they're going to be their preferred method of gauging inflation um, for, for a whole other host of reasons. But we're looking at that it's not going in the right direction and it's not retreating um, like they would want it to. And so that would really kind of influence them into certain thing that, you know what, maybe a pause isn't it just yet, but it would almost give them fuel for more rate increases until. Because really, I would think that Jerome Powell, you know, if he wants to follow in Paul Volcker's footsteps in any sense, unfortunately, uh, would want to sneak in as many increases as possible just because that gives as much uh, leverage to pull them back down a little bit later on in times of macroeconomic recession. But we're looking at, you know, really what we're seeing right now in terms of inflation. It's proving to be sticky. It's proving to stick around. The only things that's really been really shifting have been really some of those volatile segments around energy that have really had some of those sudden shifts. And so even when we're talking about energy, John Kingston put out an article around the latest diesel prices. And really one of the things that he outlined was that there could be reasons for um, increases, even though we're seeing some declines right now from OPEC plus and their meetings that they're going to be having a little bit later on. And so there are still so many catalysts at play here. And of course, you want to see that there are a lot of jobs openings for Americans, things like that. But really, um, when we're looking at forecasts. A lot of forecasts are going to be forecasting for Americans and consumers acting rational and not really preparing for anything that's going to be down the road here. And so. Uh, in terms of spending, in terms of, you know, uh, any type of, you know, purchasing goods and services, they're going to keep doing that until they can't do it anymore. And then that's when there's going to be a big issue. And that's how we see concerns happen. And that's not just for consumers. It's also for businesses as well, because we'll see more businesses enter a certain market until there's no more margin left for them, until there's no more, you know, juice to squeeze out of it. And then we'll start to see closures and then we'll start to see a, a whole shift in a business cycle. And so I think we'll start to see the same thing as in terms of hiring for sure, because we saw that where there are just so many companies that hired because they saw that there was a growth opportunity in a market. And then you start to see a, a contraction because so many people entered and so many people hired for a certain condition that wasn't going to be a long-term, you know, State and the economy, and now they have to kind of do that whole contraction and go through that whole painful business cycle that they weren't kind of prepped for. Same thing with consumers, and really, all of all, all of it kind of comes down to what's the incentives being put in place by the guardrails yeah. from the federal government as well.
0: Yeah, it's you know we're still like I know everybody's kind of done with COVID. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and we're kind of done with this pandemic life uh, style, I guess. Some of us aren't, but it's uh, we're still transitioning. There's so much that is still moving around right now that it's really hard to make ups or downs or sense of everything that's going on. Uh, the answer is just simply it's complicated. But I think you had a good segue there. And our first story of the day going into uh, John Kingston's article, uh, another two to eight cent drop in diesel has fallen 16 of the past 17 weeks, Uh, John Kingston's article up on FreightWaves.com right now. And he he basically says this is the, you know, sixth week in a row and 16th time in the last 17 weeks, diesel price uh, used for most fuel surcharges around the country, the DOE, uh, the average retail price of diesel has dropped. And I've got a few like minor takeaways from this. Um, There's... I think the declining diesel price is an indication. I want to get your take on something he said a little bit later in the article. This is not a great sign for the economy in general, because when energy prices go down, typically America's one of the largest producers of fuel in the in the world at this point. So our economy actually is tied to this, right, this price. So if demand for diesel is going down, it means there's less volume of trucks probably moving in the country. Uh, demand in general is is kind of declining. And there's obviously a lot more in there than just simple truckload movement and volume. Uh, but there's a lot of speculation involved in the underlying price of this. I want to pull up the diesel fuel chart uh, that he references a few times in here. Um, it's basically the average retail price of diesel that you're going to look at there in the white line. So that's the DOE, average weekly figure. The ULSDR in green, which is the rack price or the wholesale price of diesel. And then the spread between those two figures is there in blue. The surprising thing to me is how resilient that spread has been over the last several months as prices have come down. This means that there's arbitrage opportunities. Uh, Typically, before the pandemic, actually during the pandemic to an extent, the spread between retail and wholesale diesel was about a $1 dollar to a dollar ten per gallon. Right now it's around a dollar forty to a dollar fifty, and it's stay and it's sticky right there. So that means that retail prices are not falling <laughs> as quickly or as close to that wholesale price as they once had. So that tells you that the retailers are taking higher margins, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> more than likely, uh in, in this environment. So that's one thing, uh, but it also means anybody that buys on wholesale and sells off of retail also can expand margins. Larger fleets, larger carriers can now have a little bit of buffer, and this makes a ton of sense for them since their contract margins, their their price for doing their service, is actually on the way on its way down.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I think it's one of those things that helps create a buffer for the larger operators and larger players in the game, and so. It, Zach,
0: what does this really mean for the smaller operators though? Is- this is a bad situation <laughs> uh, because, I mean, it's not it's not the worst. I don't, I don't wanna be hyperbolic here because it isn't. There's nothing huge to take away from this uh, because prices are falling. Mm-hmm. And that's good for smaller operators. They're on their way down. Uh, what What really kills the smaller operators is those spikes, mm-hmm. those quick upward spikes that we saw last year. Those have kind of gone away. Fuel price volatility has gone away. What it means for shippers, uh, it means this is another deflationary aspect to their transportation spend. Anybody that's on a fuel surcharge, their prices are coming down, just like when they're negotiating down lower uh, for their regular transportation costs. Um, But smaller operators right now, it's not great (laughs) because they're at a market disadvantage from the larger fleets who have purchasing power. Uh, But it's... It's not the worst in the way that volatility and price spikes are not a thing. Now, one thing I want to ask you about, Anthony, he says in here that the DOE EIA price came down on speculation about the debt ceiling. Mm. (laughs) And I didn't quite, you know, I get how speculation works, (laughs) but at the same time, I want to understand, is this debt ceiling thing, are we talking about this in time? terms of like, is it going to just crush demand if they can't get it figured out? What does it mean in this context here?
1: <laughs> yeah, I think, I mean, when we look at the debt ceiling, it's one of those things that it would almost be like a COVID level, I think, event potentially, because with COVID, you think about all the unexpected or unknown unknowns that kind of unveil themselves. I think this is going to be one of those other things we're looking at, potential debt ceiling. Although, you know, we always say like the likelihood is low, there's always that hey, what if it does happen? And I think that's what we see here. And so I think um, we're looking at overall, what it would mean is that there would be an unraveling in a sense of all kind of, from all fronts overall, we're looking at supply, we're looking at demand, we're looking at what would be the underlying um, variables for that supply or the underlying variables for that demand really kind of coming undone. And then on top of it, Uh, we would think about some of the uncertainty because in some points there would just be a lot of inaction because everyone would be waiting to see what would happen. So I think that really would would come from, you know, a lot of the ongoing speculations around the whole debt ceiling situation.
0: Yeah, so, okay. So let's say that they don't come, this doesn't pass the Senate. It passed the House over the weekend. What what happens if they don't pass a debt ceiling raise and we start defaulting on Treasury? (laughs) Then
1: it's going to be one of those things where you have to start, of course, there would be a complete macroeconomic fallout from that. And then you'd have to start, it would be one of those things where you had to kind of pick which things you would want to pay and which things you wouldn't want to pay, what things you still would fund, what things you wouldn't fund. And so they would see stuff like, all right, do we still fund Social Security or do we not go forward with that? Or then, And, and before you even got to that point, we would say, all right, do we start to enact, what is it, the 14th Amendment? Yeah. Or do we start to just say, hey, no, what we're going to keep going forward anyway. And so there's going to be so many other factors that would have to go into play but then if we did get to that point it would have to be a whole bunch of picking and choosing okay what is going to be the biggest concern right now what's going to be the forefront of what has to be paid what's and then in turn of that that would i think also skyrocket the whole inflation uh, uh condition overall because do we uh start printing more do we start what, what would be the the outcome from that because after we do reach an agreement. Do we have to start putting out stimulus to kind of help aid? Do we have to start enacting quantitative easing? And so there will be all types of,
0: I would think, fallout from that. That would have to happen. Um, Another round of chaos is what yeah. it sounds like. Uh, so, but the odds of that happening in your mind are they are they good bad? I would say they're they're pretty low yeah. the odds. But I think
1: um, even when there are you know any type of conditions that are um, dire. Mm-hmm you're always your safe bet is preparing for it even if it is unlikely Mm -hmm. having a game plan all right if this does happen what do i do and so i think that's what some folks are looking to do and i think that's where some speculation comes from but i think at the end of it if there was a default here um, it would definitely be something that would expand far beyond of course the supply chain and freight and transportation Mm -hmm. but really hit the core of the global economy as a whole then that would also kind of send uh the value of the u.s dollar into a tailspin potentially make way for another potential reserve currency because if that can't be trusted then what can we trust and so then you know do we start to see stuff that are going to be more gold back do we start to see a competing currency put into play so and then what happens with crypto it's just it all kind of goes into tailspin there so um hopefully there can be a deal reach but at the end of it Um, There also needs to be a reining in on uh, the country's debts just because uh, the spending is not uh, something that just, hey, we have to keep pushing this forward and forward and
0: forward. It's kind of interesting, too, because when the the economy suffers, tax revenue goes down (laughs) and then they raise tax revenue (laughs) or they raise tax or they think about raising taxes and then it actually erodes the economy further. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So it's. Like you can't really rely on increasing taxes, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You can't really rely on. And then the other big thing is, is
1: like things that are baked into the deal, which sometimes I I see as is this political posturing because people want to get reelected. So what do you include in that? And and so um, this is going to be a big thing on my next reelection cycle, or this is going to be something that's going to catapult me into office. And so really, you're kind of playing with politics but you're all, you're using the macroeconomy as your bargaining chip in a sense.
0: So, uh, you know, one other thing that I want to talk about before we get to our last story here is the Fed's, is this affecting the Fed's position on raising rates? Are they taking this into account? Because they just released uh, basically a signal that said, we're going to take a pause mm-hmm. and evaluate you know, what we've done over the last, what is it? 11? Yeah. (laughs) 11 meetings or so, 11 increases in a row or 10 or 11. I can't remember the exact number. Um, and, and see what that's doing. Is this coming into effect here? Is that part of it? So I think from the terms of Jerome Powell and some of the other
1: members of the fed, um, is something that he won't even consider it not being a reality Mm -hmm. or it being a reality to like say, Hey, there's no excuse me, way that, you know, the U.S. can't pay its debt and there's no, you know, situation where we move forward with that happening. And so um, I think when in terms of the Fed, there are planning on there being a resolution just because um, that would make, <laughs> I think it, it would just be a, a I wouldn't say a bigger issue than COVID, but potentially a bigger disruption than COVID overall.
0: Okay. So thoughts on the taking a pause? Is this the signal that everybody's been looking for? Or it sounds like he's kind of holding something back saying, you know what, I'm not saying this we're done, but I'm going to take a pause. Does this help relieve some of that investment hesitancy? So I think if there is a pause, um,
1: there's, there's a few things here because, um, you can potentially, it's around that narrative of storytelling, and you can pause and then continue to raise rates. But say if you were to drop rates, it's really a a hit on the confidence factor if you say, hey, I'm going to drop and then increase. And so I think pause would be the safe bet, increase would be a understandable one because you see the latest stickiness and in the inflation and you see the latest job report numbers. So it would be reasonable and understandable. You could rationalize it mm-hmm. in your mind to say, okay, I can see why there would be another increase. Um, but, but I think the other big thing is I know the Fed doesn't want to say forward, like, hey, we don't care about what the markets are doing. Mm-hmm. But really, almost every single action that they take is something that will not be out of the market's expectations because mm-hmm. they don't want to disrupt too much, even though they are going to, you know, look to try to reel in this uh, inflation, they also don't want to take steps that would shake up the market overall. And they're not gonna go out and say that, you know, on, on their their their, right. their meetings and their notes and things like that, but um, what even them forecasting that for one of the first times ever, that there is an expectation of recession that also kind of reins in, you know, if they are at least forecasting a recession and they never do, does this mean that we are seeing much more rough waters ahead than what we would previously anticipate? But so there is so much going on right here. And <laughs> it, it's a fun time to watch yeah. um, wow. a little bit. Also, I have to say uh sh- shout, shout out to Zach Rogers saying, mm. while watching this, I compiled the numbers for this month's LMI going along with what you're talking about right now. We're seeing our lowest. Ever number for transportation prices, maybe we can talk about well, it next week. Next week. So Tell them the looking forward week? to
0: that. Dr. Yes. Zach Rogers, we love you on here. No Thank doubt. You. No doubt. So I can say one thing, Anthony. Yes. Everybody's taking a vacation this year <laughs> after going down to Florida. Also, there's there's no seaweed. <laughs> is uh, that is that a myth? It wasn't down there. I mean, it's I'm sure it's something, <laughs> but read the details. <laughs> um, it's, you know, it. When you hear certain things, always make sure you read the details like we try to help you with. Yeah. Trickle water. Have a great week.